Hello, I'm Carrie Gar, and welcome back to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. In order to increase awareness, you can't just obviously jump off in the middle of the funnel and say like, hey, our product is great. Hey, the service is amazing. Get it now. What is their basic pain point and core need? And show up where they are. Ah, Anna Harak. Anna Harak as I live and breathe, y'all. Anna joined us back in the day when we were little old, the MKG Marketing Podcast. Back then, back then, we talked about the myths of SEO as it related to content. The episode is in the show notes. It's a great episode. It's basically all the reasons why people talk themselves out of SEO and content. A whole lot of not right now. Which for SEO and content, if you never start, then you never start. In this episode, Anna and I talk about the power of content marketing and how it impacts your bottom line. Intent, y'all. Intent, users, and what they need when they need it, which is always right now, by the way. Taking users from having never heard of you to buying from you. Content is the bridge. It's a very powerful thing when done well, which Anna walks you through. She literally gives you the blueprint. Literally. So listen up and lean in. A little about Anna, if you haven't heard the first episode. Anna is a senior strategist at Convince and Convert. She's a hardworking, collaborative, and extremely driven professional who has a love of cleverly crafted, purposeful, and meaningful, you guessed it, content. Here's my conversation with Anna. Hello, Anna. Welcome back to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. I'm stoked to have you just over two years later. Thank you so much for having me back, Carrie. Like, I, things were so different two years ago. I am so glad to be back because I feel like one, we're coming full circle. Like we talked two years ago, like pre-pandemic, it was like right as things were shutting down. We had some really great conversations. And then recently you did like a best of and resurfaced the conversation. So I'm so excited to dig back in and talk to you today because I loved our first conversation and I can't wait to talk again. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to, thanks to, thanks to Trevor, we're going to dig in a bit deeper on our, our first conversation. But before we get there, Anna, I'm can you just remind our audience your story? Where are you now and how did you get there? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, uh, I'm a senior strategist at Convince and Convert. We are a digital marketing consultancy. Um, it was originally founded by Jay Bear, who is a New York Times bestselling author, public speaker. I'm sure uh, people absolutely uh, who listen to your podcast know who Jay Bear is. Um, but before that, so I've been with Convince and Convert for six years. Um, before that, though, I was I got my start as a digital or sorry, I should say a traditional advertising copywriter before moving into digital content creation and content strategy. Um, and so I've been doing content basically in some way, shape or form for the last 15, 16 years. Um, and then also too, it's kind of weird to be on this side of the interview because I also am co-host of the social pros podcast. So I'm used to asking the questions. So, uh, 
yeah, but it's great to be here. And this is where I'm today. So yeah, content in some way, shape or form for the last 16 years. Six years at Convince and Convert. That's a long time to be at a company. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Like I love, you know, uh, we are, as we like to say, there is no B team. So it's, uh, we're a very small, very nimble team. Uh, we do everything. So every strategist is a project manager, is an account manager, is the strategist. So it's really cool to, to actually just do what we do best. And it's really fun and it's a great team. So I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just crazy to think about, especially with everything going on in the world right now between the great resignation and all the layoffs and the offers being rescinded. So to know people who are sticking around uh, at their companies is sort of unheard of. And so I love what you're saying about your team. Is there anything else in terms of the culture and and anything else about um, convince and convert that's like keeping you there? Is it really, is it really the team and the being the small and nimble or is it something about the culture that's impacting yeah. you as well? Oh, it's, it's totally the culture and the people. Um, and it's so funny because I, I often tell Jay and especially, um, our president is Kelly Santina and she's amazing. She's so wonderful. Like just, I've uh, been working with her. She's, she has worked with Jay for, you know, forever, basically He's got her start her entire career. Um, and she's amazing. And so, you know, it's, it's the fact that, especially when the pandemic hit and even before this, we've always been a very culture oriented team. Um, and that's obviously because of leadership, like you're seeing all of these things coming out now with the great resignation and the leadership, but it's always been there. It's always been a very people focused team. And typically when you are at a company and they say, Oh, we're just like family. That's like red flag alert. Number one, but like a convince and convert, we really are there for each other. Like, you know, we go through because we are such a small team. We know each other so well, we know each other's personal lives we are really connected. Um, and it just really is about putting people first. Um, and then business comes after, and we treat the clients, our clients the same way we have these beautiful partnerships. It's not a typical agency client partnership. Like they're really true partnerships. We get amazing clients who work with us. Um, so it's just totally different. I love that. Yeah. Oh, speaking my language too. Like that's <laughs> everything we're trying to be as well from a people first standpoint and yeah. treating our team as people, but then extending that to our, our clients and giving them a breath of fresh air, so to speak from like the agency. Yeah. World. So yes to all of that. And before I move on to my next question, Anna, do you have any wise words for people who are trying to find their next place? What should they, what questions should they be asking? What should they be looking for and trying to find somewhere where they might stick around for six years? That's a really great question. I just honestly got to convince and convert through trial and error and knowing people and, you know, just um, like I always say that finding a job and finding a great place is, it feels so much like dating, which is so awful sometimes too, especially, um, just the trial and error part of it, but, but find something that, um, find something that you can really excel at, like find a place that values what you bring. There've been so many places where, you know, I've come to the table and, and it's just been not the right fit, or I've, you know, been 
like there's clearly just not that level of respect, but, but find a place that values you and what you bring in however you show up to bring it right. Like there's no one right fit. Um, and there's no one right place. I don't think, you know, especially being in America, you know, there's this expectation to like overextend yourself. And if you don't work best that way, find a place that values like work-life balance, right? If you are somebody that loves the hustle and you love drive and you want more work all the time, find a place that values your hustle. Like just find a place that values you and what you bring. Yeah. I've been calling it, um, given things have gone remote, given work-life balance, it's, it's more. And for those who are into the hustle, I think it's, it's, and for those who are not, it's more about work-life integration. Like these things blend now they're all the same, you know, work (laughs) and life. One does not end and the other begin. It is your life and you work while you're living. So where, how do these things fit together? How can you live your best life and how can work support that and be part of your journey rather than this other thing you have to do in order to go do this other thing? Like, yeah, they're all, they're all the same now. Yeah. And I also think too, like I've had conversations before with coworkers where it's like, you know, sometimes depending on a project that's going on, like you see your coworkers sometimes more than you see your family in a week, uh, which shouldn't be the case, but it's like, you really do have to like them and you really have to like respect them and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I really love the people that I work with and there's something to be said for that. And that wasn't always the case, but man, does it make a difference? It totally makes a difference. hundred percent. So tell me, Anna, in what you're doing now with Convince and Convert six years later, uh, two years after we've talked since, what's what's one challenge you're currently facing? So I think uh, one challenge I'm currently facing is, um, you know, it's funny. I think we just touched on it. It's um, unplugging. I found through the course of, um, and that sounds weird because like I, I do genuinely love my job and I, I love Convince and Convert. And I swear I'm not being paid to say that and nobody's like, you know, holding me hostage in the background here. I don't need to blink or anything. Um, but like, I think it's, you know, you mentioned it exactly about like work-life balance. And even though I've worked from home for six years with Convince and Convert, cause we are a totally distributed remote team. Um, I found a lot of safety and security throughout the pandemic in work. And so I dove into it harder than ever before, because it was like a constant and a thing that I enjoyed and I loved and could, uh, for lack of a better phrase control it like you know it was like very structured and I found a lot of safety and security in that so it's kind of now that things are opening vaccines are 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 much more prevalent than they were before um I'm finding it hard to like let go a little like we're going on vacations a couple of them soon and I'm like getting a little panicky I'm like oh do I leave my laptop but like it's it's been connected to me more so than ever over the last two years I want to say you do, but I do want to say too, as somebody who's recently done both unplugged and not unplugged on vacation, um, you really, it's really what works for you. And it's finding a balance. Like I unplugged on my first vacation because we were off Island and it was full on with the kids. And there was no way that even if I wanted to plug in, I really could, but at the same time that I came back to an onslaught of like trying to catch up and the anxiety I feel like I was working in the dark and everybody had all these questions to me. And I was like, I have no answers because I'm still trying to catch up. And I feel like I'm in the dark and this is a terrible feeling. And so a few weeks later, when I was on vacation, I did, I didn't bring my laptop, but I did check my phone. I did start emails. I did just stay in the know, not, not so much to respond or to show up because I didn't, my team had it. 
And I needed yeah. them to have it and to know that they had it and not feel like I had to step on their toes, but I also didn't want to come back in the dark. So it is like finding what works for you and that integration, but being able to go beyond vacation and like enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially, um, I think to your point about finding what works for you hundred percent, like sometimes it's really nice to unplug, but sometimes it's nice to just occasionally browse and have that peace of mind. So totally agree. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm hoping to unplug. I will probably check my phone a little bit, but I, I don't want to. So no, I'm just going to make a commitment to unplug. It's, it's taped here, maybe on round three, when we talk, we can visit that and see if I <laughs> actually, I'm going to check in with you. No, no, no. I'm going to yeah. check in with you after your vacation and say, so how'd it go? And then right. be my intro outro. I'm going to mention how it went. So and yeah. if I, and if I res- let's do it. And if I respond to you on vacation, you will know that I have failed. So <laughs> it'll be like an instant litmus test. There we go. There yeah. we go. Everybody's heard it. This is happening. <laughs> Um, let's talk about content. So that's yeah. where we're going to sit today. It's where it's what we talked about two years ago, but more yeah. of what we talked about two years ago, which if you haven't listened, go listen because it's so good. And our really debunks content myths when it, and as it relates to SEO, which is so helpful and powerful because man, do we, <laughs> do we think we know what we don't know? <laughs> so that was awesome. Was a lot. It was a lot. It was really good. But now we want to talk about what the ROI of that is like, how mm-hmm. does content really breed revenue and, and what does that even mean? So let's talk about, let's start with, oh man, we have a lot of things we could start with. Let's, let's talk about the funnel. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's a great, if we're talking about revenue. I mean, what, yeah. what better place to start with than the funnel? What are your, what are your thoughts on the funnel? Cause the word I have here. Yeah, <laughs> I have, I have a lot of thoughts on the funnel. I think when you are putting together a PowerPoint deck, a funnel looks beautiful on it. In reality, we all know that the funnel does not exist as it looks on a slide, right? Like I use the funnel anecdotally because it's a very simple, helpful tool to talk about the progression of a consumer or the progression of a journey or the stages that somebody might go through. But we all know that that's been outdated forever, but it is still a really helpful tool to kind of talk through some things. One of the things that I still really don't see quite as much with any organization, whether it's B2B or B2C, um, is really talking about audience journeys and really digging into these audience journeys. I do still see the funnel used a slight bit too literally. Um, and I think, again, the funnel is okay for anecdotes and in talking in generalized terms, but if we're actually going to start to talk about content and looking at what it's doing for us, we really need those audience journeys. Audience journeys feel really big yeah. and complicated because there's no one, there's no right journey. Everybody's journey is their own journey. Um, and half the journey you can't even measure. And so from a content standpoint and, and journey mapping, how, do, what's your approach to that given those complications? It's a really great question. And you bring up such a good point. It's, you know, a lot of times I think when we do talk about audience journeys, we do have this tendency to say, okay, this is going to be a six month project at minimum. We are going to talk to 50 of our customers. We are going to do UX testing. We're going to do, you know, like uh, sentiment surveys, and we're going to do all of these things that take an extraordinary amount of time and resources that we potentially don't have right now within our organizations, or, or maybe we just 
need to launch something and don't have time to, to kind of invest in all of this. And I think there's other ways to have loose customer journeys. First and foremost, if you're talking about the ROI of content and you want it to convert or you want it to affect change in your audience, you absolutely cannot do that without talking to your audience. The lack of audience research that I see is really primarily in having interviews with customers. I mean, even just talking to customers and hearing about how they went through their process is enlightening, right? Like hearing about, you know, even talking to five audiences and then generalizing some of those themes and understanding some of the paths that they took can at least help you find some overlapping points in which there's a loose journey. So when I say audience journeys, it's a great point that you bring up. They don't have to be you know, uh, $100,000 plus projects, they could be lightweight research to just understand the steps your audiences take. You need to be my good friend, Danny Wolf. You would, yes, that needs to happen. I'm going to make that happen because in terms of what she talks about from an audience first standpoint and literally just picking up the phone and talking to your audience is really important for yeah. you. And you say that you're, you're sort of saying that, is it that simple as picking up the phone or it, is it over LinkedIn or is it one-to-one? How, how are you getting in front of yeah. your audience to have these conversations? I mean, it could be anything. I mean, a direct conversation is always best and easiest because you can change and shift the conversation or you can dig in a little bit deeper into some areas and make it more of like a loose conversation. But I mean, I get that sometimes it's hard to get customers on the phone or maybe you work in an industry where, um, you know, there's, you know, some privacy restrictions. So totally understand. But I mean, even like, surveys to talk about, you know, lightweight surveys. We're talking like 10 questions, you know, like they, you can get this firsthand audience feedback in via zoom. You can do them. I mean, even social polls can help get you a little bit further there, right? Like an Instagram, um, you know, an Instagram story with a poll, a couple of polls in it to get their feedback is even better than nothing. Yeah. LinkedIn too has them, um, which has been interesting to see how people how people use them. Sometimes they're really complicated and sometimes they're just these really simple, yeah. like gut feeling sort of checks. Yeah. Like, I'm seeing this happen in the, in the world. Is this actually what's happening? And then um, I will say just as an FYI to LinkedIn and Instagram and social, and I don't know how you feel about this, Anna, but you probably have ended up in your own echo chamber. So. Oh, for sure. Be, be weary of the yes. fact that it's that you might get the results you had anticipated because you're with like yes. individuals who are saying what you're saying. A hundred percent. Right. It's not an exact science, but it's better than nothing. But than yeah, nothing. absolutely. It's, it's yeah. The people who follow you love you already. So you're probably going to get better feedback than you would have doing like blind research for sure. What do you do with it? So you gather this research, whether it's one-on-one conversations or whether it's over oh, these polls or surveys, and then and we're talking about content here. So like, and intent and journey mapping, how do you, what do you do with it? Another beautiful point. So just like we never want to create content for content's sake, we never want to just research for research sake. So you should absolutely have um, a goal in mind of what you need to find out, right? Like, is there a new form on the website that people are not using and they're bypassing it and, and contacting someone directly? Or is it that, you know, people add something to their cart, but then they leave it um, consistently. Like there's a, like a disproportionately high number of, of cart abandonments, right? Like 
find out what that problem spot is before you go to research to figure out exactly what you're trying to trying to do and the change that you're trying to affect. I think that's really important. And to clarify, because you said it, but I want to make sure everybody heard it. Do that before you actually do your surveys. Like, what is it you're out to understand? Because I think that's so important. I think sometimes we look at the big picture and we're like, I want to understand what people's problems are. Right. But if you're really specific about it in terms of intent, I love what you said in terms of, is it the form? Is it this landing page? Is it the specific service? Is it a specific product? Is it this piece of specific content that's been sitting here forever and not getting any traction? Like I love the specific, specific, I can't say that, the specificness <laughs> of what you're saying in yeah. regards to that. Because I think a lot of the times, like I said, you sort of are stunned by the big picture and don't know where to start. So start with one very small, teeny tiny problem right here, build a question around it and then go survey your customers to find the answer. Yeah. And then take those, the the feedback and the information that you get and then go fix your content. Full circle. Full circle. Just like that. Go go fix your content. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's so actionable of all the things we can do right now. So listeners, pause, <laughs> hit the pause button and go do that and then come back for the next. <laughs> right. right. Go do full on audience research and then come back and listen. Yeah, they come back. We'll, right, we'll, right, right. we'll wait here. We'll wait here. Yes. Um, because my next question comes to uh, net new content, right? I imagine mm-hmm. that when you do, you do find those nuggets that aren't related to like, you might have this aha moment in your research of like, Oh, I never thought of that. And then go build something yeah. brand new. Right. And, and what you do with that. So in terms of journey mapping and your audience, there's, there, it's not linear, like we said, right. So how do you know where you're, when you're creating the content and you're in the journey, I mean, it feels, uh, let's come back to the funnel for a second because it is easy, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you talk about awareness because there, there is an essentially intent of where yeah. people are and how you create content. So how do you find that next step for somebody or how do you even bring them in in the first place? So in terms of bringing them into the funnel, yeah. In terms of the, yeah. in terms of that initial journey, in terms of starting them out in terms of catching their attention and, you know, you have this research, but, but you, you still gotta, just cause you build it doesn't mean they'll come. Right. That's true. I mean, I think that's where we start getting into some of the distribution and, you know, getting into, um, I mean, audiences are going to come from everywhere, right? Like, especially with, there is, there is more information now than ever before for people to process and sort through and do their own research. And so when it comes to looking at sort of like that awareness stage and bringing people in, like you can't really sometimes control that. Um, I mean, you can try with, you know, you know, distributing content and atomizing content and, you know, trying to be everywhere all at once and creating surround sound content. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think that's where it really, it, you have to look at where people are coming from the most and at least get like a good gut check. But, you know, I think the, it starts with looking at what audiences really need to hear from you and what is their interest, not just what you have to say. So 
In order to increase awareness, you can't just obviously jump off in the middle of the funnel and say like, hey, our product is great. Hey, the service is amazing. Get it now, right? Like what are people looking at from the very most basic search term or what is their basic pain point and core need and show up where they are, at least try as best as possible to show up where they are and try to get them in that way. But then also too, you can't necessarily just assume people are going to start at the top of your funnel either. Right. And of course, funnel, you know, as we talked about before, the journey, yeah. Anecdotal part, yeah. Point, right. I mean, especially again, with just so much information. And, and one of the things that I love is Google a couple of years ago, did this study about the messy middle. And it's basically, there's an entry point and an exit point in the customer journey. And the messy middle is everything that happens in between. And basically the way that they illustrated it is it's like this constant infinite loop between um, basically like research and refinement in terms of what they're, what they're looking for. So basically like they're aware of something, however they become aware of it. They're interested in it. And that whole messy middle is just a series of refining, educating information. And that's an insane, messy middle. It really is. And then finally, they find some information that satisfies all of their questions and their needs, or they've refined their questions enough to make a decision. So, um, I mean, we don't control where people get in the funnel, which is a very long-winded answer to the question you asked me. Yeah, though, I wanted to get to the messy middle. That's where I was trying to go without being like, you know, hitting you over the head. Um, (laughs) No, but I I think the messy middle is so important. And I love Google. Of course, Google's graphic is not messy at all. (laughs) No, it's beautiful (laughs) and so Google-like, yes. Um, but it, but it is this figure eight, that's yeah. the, the infinity side, right. That's happening. And then you, the trigger of them entering the infinity mm-hmm. and then the trigger of them exiting in terms of purchase. And so yeah. I, I think that's perfect of like, how do you, from a content standpoint, is this is what I feel like I'm hearing you, this yeah. is the beauty and you're going to correct me is it feels like you want to keep them there to some degree, right? Like you don't want to trap them and make them feel like they have no way out, (laughs) right? but you do want to like keep bringing them in and educate. It sounds like from an awareness standpoint, it's education to, um, to the sort of, here's more, here is a more, a little bit about a product, but bringing them back into more of that awareness and education. And then it's just keeping it going, so to speak, but to your point, meeting them where they are and the content they need and being useful and helpful. Yeah. And totally agree. Like it's keeping them there by progressively helping them satisfy what they're looking for. Um, I mean, there is, um, an amazing content strategist, Christina Halverson, who something she said a long time ago stuck with me, which is basically that there's no such thing as passive, uh, searching. And it's absolutely true. Like if you even think about your own intent, every single thing we do is, is with intention, with purpose or with a goal, right? Like it's not just like cable TV where we can just like flip it on and keep scrolling through. Like maybe yes, to a certain extent on like social media sites that have like endless scrolls, but even then we're still searching for something. We're not just sort of like blindly scrolling through, like we're looking, we're getting updates from people. So I think going into content and recognizing that somebody is going to read this with an intent and they have a goal for consuming this content can help us better frame how that content takes shape. So, so are you saying that it's not about how every piece of content should have 
I, this sounds so obvious when I say it out loud, but I'm going to say it anyway. Every piece of content should have a goal and it doesn't necessarily need to be by now, but each yes. there should be in clear intent on our end as marketers to meet the audience where they are, but like there should be a clear next step. A clear next step and also a clear goal to satisfy what our audience is looking for and what they need. So how is this piece of content satisfying our audience's goal when they read it? Like, what does our audience need from this piece of content and how can, where can we send them next for the next best step? So it's not our goal. It's It's not always. Yes. It is not always our goal. Absolutely. Um, yeah. If we just, again, like if we just start saying like, by now get this thing, it's amazing. Like that's probably not going to satisfy their needs and they're just going to tune out. Yeah. It doesn't work anymore. (laughs) No, it doesn't. I feel like maybe it never worked, but we just were quality quantity over quality. So like we, we faked ourselves out to think that that worked at some point. (laughs) Right. I mean, maybe when we had like less options available and it was like, do you want widget a or widget B? And it was like, well, I guess I'll take one of these, you know, but now it's like, you have like widget a through Z through, you know, infinite widgets available. Yeah. It's hard as a, as a brand now, there's yeah. a lot of competition out there. Like, oh, how totally. do you, and it's not, it's not up to you anymore to like, it really is comes down to the customer and, and their, and then making that decision of what is going to work for them and why you it's, it's tough now. It is. It's, it's really tough. It is really, really tough. And it's, getting tougher by the day and people are bombarded. I mean, even we experience this in our own lives, trying to find basic things. Um, and yeah, it is tough. Like, you know, I think it's easy to, to talk through and make it sound so easy, but yeah, some of these things, and especially then when you're dealing with like layers upon layers at work and trying to get these things through. Yeah. It's for sure getting tougher, but one of the things that we still continue to come back to, which was a J-Bear book and also a a principle that we use still to this day is the concept of utility, which is marketing that helps instead of hypes. So really going into content with the goal of helping our audiences. hundred percent agree. I think that's really what it needs to come down to. Yeah, it really does. Um, Let's go back to conversion for a second because you talked about, you know, that meeting the, meeting the customer where they are in terms of meeting their goals. Um, and, and us having a next step for them on the content that we're creating is the next step in a conversion, the same thing, or is there a clear conversion? Like you're going to download this thing and you're going to be a lead and that's a conversion versus learn more and read on. <laughs> Great. I like how you made those like so pleasant. Be like, read more. Um, I mean, I think, you know, it varies across companies. Like some companies really just care about that final click and that buy or that contact or, you know, that intent uh, to take action um, and become a customer or a client or whatever that may be. But um, I've also worked with, with organizations who maybe with on their customer service side, you know, um, like just saying like, you know, giving somebody like a five-star review is a conversion, you know, or, you know, simply, uh, 
you know, emailing or signing up for an email is a conversion. So I think it just depends on how you're looking at it. I do still typically see though, when people talk about content and conversion, they are talking about the bottom of the funnel. And a lot of people still think about just like that ultimate end goal in mind, um, which I think really does content a disservice throughout because there's so many different touch points, like we've already been talking about to just boil it down to that one action misses the whole goal of creating all of this content in the first place and also just doesn't do our audiences any favors either. So for those listening, I, I live on a tiny island and 16-year-olds are allowed to ride really loud, obnoxious motorbikes before they're actually <laughs> allowed to drive. So uh, if you're hearing those sounds, that is what that is. Um I think that's so important when you're talking about conversion and it really comes down to what you as, as the brand needs and how soft you want the conversion to be versus how heavy handed. I mean, I've seen anywhere from uh, Latin continent being like, it is a, it is a contact button and everything yeah. else is open and you have a contact button and they will contact you when they are ready, right. leave them alone to free trial to people being like, I am, I'm gaining everything. Like, this is just how we're rolling. And this is just what we need. And like, this is, this is how it is. And finding what works for you. And maybe there's yeah. a happy medium between the two, but I, it's just about the intent, right. And being, yeah. being clear and being consistent is what I feel like I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Well, and also I love that you just talked about gated versus ungated content. Cause this is actually something that I'm seeing lately kind of split uh, opinion on, which is, do we gate or ungate content? Because a lot of people have used gated content historically as a conversion, um, as a conversion point or as like the ultimate conversion, um, so that they can get that contact information. But now with people seeing so much success with ungating content, I'm really seeing a lot of split opinions on this. Um, and it's really interesting to see how companies are kind of dealing with this. What's your opinion? Um, as a consumer, I really uh, love ungated content. Um, if it is something that is so incredibly high value, I will happily, happily provide my contact information. And I think that is just the general world that I've always stuck to too. And that's typically what works as well. At least what we see. I mean, if you're gating a super simple infographic, like that's not worth somebody's time necessarily. I mean, depending on obviously the industry, of course, but like, you know, but if you're, if you're gating like an entire beautifully written ebook that has like worksheets and how to's like, obviously that's probably going to be a bigger um, sell to give somebody, you know, their information. So I think you gate it when it's really, really worth it. If it's a really specific point in the funnel for everything else, just give it away for free because there chances are, you're not really gating things that they can't find somewhere else. That's so true. And you want them mm -hmm. to find it from you because you want to be the source right. of truth. Yes, exactly. <sighs> that was so beautifully worded too. Like, thank, thank you for refining all of that into like a <laughs> super succinct, beautiful statement. It's true though. I mean, I think we have to show up as the experts at the end of the day, no matter who we are or what we're doing. And to do that, you have to showcase it. And to do that, you got to give away your secret sauce. Like this yeah. idea of when I first started my podcast ugh, three years ago, and I asked people to be on, there was like a lot of skepticism and I'd ask really hard questions and they're like, you can edit this, right? Like, I don't know if I should say this. And what if I'm giving away, like how to do this in my secret sauce? I'm like, that's the plan. Like you have to, you have to really open up about your expertise and what you can do and how you do yeah. it 
And if somebody's going to go do it and figure it out on their own, that's just what they're going to go do. They're never going to hire right. you regardless. But if they right. decide that, oh my gosh, he just knows, they just know what they're doing. And I just want them to do it because it sounds yes to that. Right. Like, yeah, there has been this shift and I'm so thankful for it. Cause yeah, I think gotta give away our secret sauce. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I don't believe in the secret sauce, especially when it comes to marketing. And also too, there's so much that we can learn from each other by sharing yes. methodologies and like making things better and like pushing ideas and concepts forward, like get rid of the secret sauce. It doesn't exist. Somebody's done it. Yeah. My photographers. Somebody's- yeah. My, I went to school for photography and, uh, we had to study all of like the greats because they're like, you're not doing anything new. So nope. go look at the people who actually got paid to do this and figure out what they did well. And then incorporate that in what you're in the story you're trying to tell, because you're not doing, you're, you're not reinventing the wheel here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Agreed. Um, in terms of <sighs> content is beautiful. Content is amazing. Content is mm-hmm. needed. And it's, mm-hmm. it is the heart of everything that we do, but where the content comes from the resources we need to actually create really good content is really tough. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why like, <laughs> this is why your company exists, right? Is because creating really amazing, yeah. thoughtful, well done content is a lot of work and, and uh, resources are needed. So let's talk about editing and copywriting and the importance yeah. of that. Because I think you can always start off with, first of all, don't let that hold you back, right? I mean, at the end of the day, go. Right, right, right. Yeah, like perfect is the enemy of good, some phrase of that sort nature, like perfect is the enemy of done, like, yeah, for sure. All of those things. But if you can get your hands on a helpful writer of some description. Yes. Right? It's, It's twofold. It's having a really good writer, but you also need editing to go with that. It's not just, yes. Yeah. And oh yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that, um, so as a writer, I will firmly plant myself on the writer side. I, uh, cannot tell you how much better my content is with a dedicated editor. I mean, even like, I love writing. It's what I do. It's it, but it's just not the same as editing and it's not, Um, it's not a, it's not like a weakness of a writer to have an editor. It's, it's absolutely necessary. And also a writer is different than an editor and is different than a proofreader also, but nobody treats them as different and everybody wants to lump them into one. Um, and, and it's still, that is still one of my biggest sticking points is just how undervalued, underpaid and, um, overlooked those positions are within organizations. There's still low men on the totem pole, low people on the totem pole. They're still, um, drastically underpaid for a very skilled, um, you know, like set a unique set between writing, editing, and, and proofreading. Those are all unique skill sets. Um, and so that is still one of my biggest sticking points when I go out there and I see sort of like what's happening in the workspace. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm not, any of those. I'm not a writer. I'm not a copy editor. And I'm certainly not a proofreader, but I do write because that's yes. what's needed for our, our company. And, and I have, I don't want to say I have most time because I, I have a different 
I, I have a different allotted time, right? I put effort and time into, into writing because I'm one of the people in my t- company that can, can have the time to do it. But I am, I'm not a skilled writer. I write how I speak, which isn't always good. And because I talk a lot and I say a lot of filler words, <laughs> um, but I will, but I, so I, I recently started writing uh, our story of, yeah. um, you know, my story and then our MKG story. And now I'm going to get into how remote leadership works from what we've built and what we've learned. And in that, in starting to do that, my, my managing director came in and she's like, I'm going to be your copy editor. I was like, I have no idea what that means, but that sounds amazing. And it was yeah. a game changer. Like, 100%. Everything you're saying, like, if you're not a writer, that's okay. Just sit down and right. like get stuff down. And totally. then- and then have somebody who can, I think you said this in our previous conversation, and I just found it so powerful. I want to say it here, but have somebody just mirror it back to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. It's, and, and ask questions. Like I thought I wrote 14 pages of awesome. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> she was like, oh, like remove this. But she kept saying she wanted more. Like I went yeah. from 14 pages to like 20. I was like, is this okay? Like, this is a lot. Like she's like, no, no, this is awesome. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is. Yeah a lot of words, but that's really what they're there to do is to just help you figure out what matters, what doesn't, and then pull more out of the, of the real meaning of what it is you're trying to say. I mean, that's what I got from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's what I get from it too, is, you know, exactly like you, like when I'm writing content for brands, it's, it's, you know, I obviously have their goal in mind. I'm thinking about the audience. I'm thinking about like all of these different pieces and how to pull it together to tell a story. And it just helps to have somebody like who hasn't been in the weeds like that and assembling all of the jigsaw pieces together perfectly to be like, Hey, you know, this is great, but did you mean to say this, or should we elaborate more on this? Or, Hey, like there's kind of a disconnect between these two things. I think we need to bridge them a little better and just like tighten everything up and make it beautiful, which obviously, you know, it sounds like, you know, from your story, like you have this beautiful story that you're telling, but like an editor is helping you just like piece it together. Like not everything's necessary. What are you trying to say? Right. If I'm really talking about remote leadership, then do I really need to be talking about this piece about my cat? Like that's three, but that's not what I did, but it's an an example of that, right? It's, they really do help you focus on Mm -hmm. the point, the goal of the piece of content that you're trying to create. Yeah. Um, And I think that person is imperative to making that happen. And I mean, can it be, does it have to be a quote unquote, I I mean, ideally, if you can hire somebody, it would ideally be a copy editor, but I feel like I don't want to say anybody, my managing director just so happens to have gone to school for <laughs> nice for writing. Um, so if you happen to find somebody in your team, great, use them. But I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be just having somebody read it and yeah. talk to you about it. For sure. The ideal scenario would be that you could split those, those uh, positions out into different roles. However, if you don't have the volume to support like a full-time editor, or you don't have, you know, the budget right now to, to do a dedicated proofreader, I think exactly, you know, pair writing or flip-flopping and having somebody else read it, even at least just to get a good check, gut check on it is always good. Um, you know, it's just here seeing, um, especially hearing what other people uh, get from what you've written is so powerful. Like, did you hear this? Or like, what did you hear 
or what did you get from this piece of content? And then they can reflect it back to you. And you can be like, yes, that's what I was trying to communicate. It's clear or no, I need to refine that. Funny enough, like when I was really getting my start as a traditional copywriter, I would actually, my, my poor, amazing, wonderful, supportive husband was that person for me because I was like starting off, I was super insecure. I was working with a lot of really amazing writers and I would like come home at night and like work on stuff and then be like, can I just read this out loud to you? And he'd be like, sure. And like, he still does that to me for this day. Like, so like for the last, you know, basically 20 years, he's been like my sounding board of like, does this sound okay? So, and that helps. It does. Same. It is. And I like what you said too there about reading it out loud. I think. Yes. Um, and also my mom just taught me because I, my mom, um, works in technology. And so she knows all the ins and outs. And so she actually showed me how your computer can read it to you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which yeah, is, yeah. Which is also helpful as well, because if you wrote it and then you're trying to read it out loud, you, you might skim it or skip over it. But if you actually, you can have your computer read it back to you. Yeah. yeah. I guess if back. you don't, you don't want to subject a spouse or partner or you don't have anybody, yeah. friend. Yes. You can subject yeah. your computer. You can, yeah. You can. <laughs> or if you're like me and you have weird working hours and it's nine o'clock in the morning for you and everybody else is asleep, you can have your computer read it to you. It's pretty That's handy. True. Very good um, point. I think this was so helpful, Anna, in terms of content and conversion and like really how to bring that to life from the journey mapping to, you know, using the funnel, but like going beyond that and what that really means to actually building the content towards a goal and your audience and what they're trying to get out of it with a clear conversion point, even if that's just a contact us now button to a, a download for a very deep piece of content and how to write that content for your audience and get that feedback through copywriting. This was just, I, I, if people don't feel inspired to go right after this, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else to tell them because this should get everybody in gear. Like, yes, this should be, yeah, I, I, tomorrow morning, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be writing. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Oh, I'm glad. Thank well, th- yeah. Thank you for letting me talk about this. I always love talking about content, especially talking content with you. So thank you. Anytime, anytime yeah. before we leave, I do have my people first questions, which I don't know that I asked you last time. I don't think um, you did actually. No. I didn't, which is great. So, cause you get to answer them for the first time. So tell me, Anna, in the last two years, have you picked up any new hobbies? Um, I sadly, I wish I think about this all the time. I really wish I'd picked up like some amazing hobby. Like I didn't get on the bread making train. I didn't like, you know, try all those like crazy weird TikTok recipes. Like what was the really famous one? It was like the, basically like a, like a spicy salmon or spicy tuna bowl in a bowl. Um, but yeah. Um, so, but what I did actually, unfortunately, with the pandemic, um, I did have to stop doing roller derby because obviously it's a very high contact, very in-your-face sport. I've been skating since 2018, um, but I recently picked that up over the last year. Now that vaccines are back in and like you know the numbers are in a little bit better place, so yeah. So I re-picked up an old hobby, which was roller derby. That's so fun. Yeah, that's so fun. I love that you're getting back in. It must be a little bit of relief to like feel a little bit normal in that aspect. It is. Yeah. And like go hit people and get hit and yeah, it's fun. It's a really, really fun, just good time. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Second question for you. If you could be with your team in person, you're a lean, mean team. Maybe you are getting together. Maybe you have gotten together, whatever the case may be, but what song would you want playing overhead to set the vibe? 
Um, this, I love this question. I really love this question. So, uh, it would have to be before I answer this though, I have to say it would be my team with convince and convert. And we do actually have an annual retreat, um, that we all, it's the only time like every year that we all see each other. And so because we go so long, even though we see each other every day on like zoom and, and, you know, uh, basically we talk all the time, all day long, regardless of what we're doing. Um, but in person, we see each other once a year fully. And I would have to have Lizzo's, um, it's about damn time because we, it's like a giant reunion every year. And everybody just like, is so excited to see each other. And we have so much fun. And it's like, we just wait all year to see each other. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Same. We do the same thing. Um, we do have like many, many pods that get together throughout the year, but we all get together once a year and I, nice. That's it's such a good about. time. Yeah. It's, it's always pent up. Like, ah, we finally yeah. get to see each other energy that like goes into it for like four strong days and then you all pass out. It's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question for you. Anna. if you could travel to anywhere in the world and you're start, it sounds like you're going to start traveling here soon. Yes. Um, but without vaccines and passes and uh, long, I've heard the lines for traveling right now are insane, but uh, assuming all of that was not in your way where would you go and why? Uh, so we, my husband and I talk about this quite a bit, actually. So I have been wanting to go back to Japan because that was our really last big, um, international trip that we took, um, in 2019. And it, um, just was such a beautiful, amazing country. And we had such a wonderful time and, um, everything was just so gorgeous and it was so much fun to explore. So I, we only spent like 10 days there and we left, it was one of those places you leave and you're like, that was not enough time. Like that there will never be enough time to spend here to like get as much as I wanted out of it. So I have to go back. Cause it was just so, it was such an amazing trip. We loved every minute of it. It's on my bucket list. Oh, it's, oh, it's list. amazing. It is just it's, it's everything about it is amazing and wonderful. And when you go, let me know, I'll give you some, what recommendations I know. I'm sure it's totally oh. different since the two years I've been there, but. Oh, I will for sure. Oh, Anna, So good to see you again. Thanks for hanging out with me. It's so good to see you too. Thank you so much for having me back. This was so much fun. That was my conversation with Anna Rock. If you haven't listened to the first episode from way back when, you're going to want to be kind, rewind, check that out. If you'd like to connect with Anna, as always, you can find her on LinkedIn, hang out, shoot the breeze, and then get going. Build that content engine you've been putting off for far too long. And if you're looking for help or ideas, I'm happy to hang out and brainstorm. My chemistry call link is in the show notes. As an SEO agency, we can help you do any and all of the above. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Let's build you that content engine that's going to take users from never having heard from you to buying from you. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And that's the bridge that content creates. So, so let's go. Let's go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. If you found this conversation with Anna helpful, please subscribe and share. I appreciate y'all. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply. <laughs>